Father, as we come before your presence, we confess that many a times we are like the disciples walking with you on the road to Emmaus. Though you are walking beside me and walking beside us, many a times we do not see that and we do not realize that you are beside us until you start to dine with us and until you start to open your word to us. So Father, right now as we come to feast upon your words, as we come to your presence, as you opened your words again to us, Father, we, we see Jesus. Open our eyes like how you opened the eyes of the disciples on the road to Emmaus to see Jesus. And that's what we pray this morning as we come to you, to your holy word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Costi Hinn, the nephew of faith healer Benny Hinn, has just written a new book that's entitled God, Greed and the Prosperity Gospel. In this book, Costi Hinn tells of the kinds of life that he was living in the Hinn family. Not only did Costi Hinn grow up in the Hinn family, but he was also uh, working for a couple of years before he went into college for his uncle Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn is not only a faith preacher, but he preaches the prosperity gospel, where he preaches that if you want to be rich, you first need to lavish money at him first. And one thing that the family uh, shares is that they were not allowed to talk about sickness and illnesses. To be sick, for many of them, means that you do not have enough faith. How can a faith healer be sick? And growing up in that family, Costigan tells us that they never, they never talked about sickness and they never visited the hospital because to them, the hospital is the place of the devil. It's a place whereby faith does not exist. It's the place you go to and you have your anointing removed. Everything seems to be fine and dandy until Costi Hinn went to college. In college, he met a Christian girl by the name of Christine. Both of them fell in love with each other head over heels. But then there was a big obstacle that they needed to get over. Costi Hinn's family. You see, the Hin family always believed that Costi was the anointed one that would one day take over the ministry of Benny Hin, his uncle. So whoever wants to be Costi Hin's wife needs to have the family approval. And the book Costi Hin goes on to tell us about four tests that the family devised to test this young girl to see whether she was worthy enough to be Costi Hin's wife. I won't go through the four tests. You have to buy the book and read it yourself. But one of the tests that they uh, devised for her was that she was not allowed to talk about illnesses. But Christine herself had asthma. And because she had asthma, and because the family would not talk about illnesses, she was not allowed to talk about the sickness. So every time when Christine visits Costi's family, she was always very careful 
about what she says about her own health. But one time when they were at a family gathering, uh, Christine disappeared. And so Costi started looking for her and couldn't find her anywhere else, anywhere in the house. He went outside the house and couldn't find her. Finally, he went downstairs into the basement, and when he opened the door, he saw his fiancée lying there, face turned purple, with, his vein, with her veins all protruding. She was close to death. It was then he, dis he knew that she was dying of an asthma attack. And Costi, with tears in his eyes, screamed, Are you alright? Are you alright? Christine, with a feeble hand, pointed to a small machine just beside him. It was then Costi realized that it was that she needed to have the vapor that came out of that machine with a tube stuck in the machine to, in order to breathe again. And so Costi immediately helped her put on the tube into her nose so that she would breathe again. But it was at that moment when Costi saw his girlfriend, his fiancée, about to die of an asthma attack, it suddenly dawned on him that this faith-healing business may not be right. And even as she was recovering, Costi asked her repeatedly, Do we need to call an ambulance? Do we need to call an ambulance? She was so afraid of Costi's family that she kept waving her hand and said no. Tears rolled down Costi's face. It was one of the wake-up calls for Costi to realize that perhaps the prosperity gospel is not gospel. One of the reasons why faith healing and the prosperity gospel is wrong is that they believe that the power is in your hands. The power of healing, the power of faith is in your hands. If you have enough faith, you will be rich. If you have enough faith, your illness will be gone. But if there is one thing that the gospel and the Bible teaches is that power is not in our hands. This is the message of Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Our text for this morning. This is the message that we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to the fact, to the myth that power is in our hands. We do not have power to save ourselves. We do not have power to heal ourselves. We need a savior. And that's what this passage is about. Let's look into this passage in closer detail by situating it in its context. Daniel chapter 2 verses 20 to 23. In Daniel chapter 2, we are told that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream in the middle of the night. And he began to call his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers and astrologers, to tell him what the dream was and then interpret for him the dream. When the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and astrologers couldn't tell the king the dream, the king was furious and he wanted to have all these diviners killed. And not only had to have them killed, to have their houses turned into piles of rubble. 
want you to look at the text a little bit closer. Daniel, the author of the book, nowhere refers to this, uh, this group of men, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers, as wise men, until when? Chapter 2, verse 12. Before chapter 2, verse 12, they're only called the enchanters, the magicians, the sorcerers, and astrologers. But after chapter 2, verse 12, Daniel begins to use the word wise men to describe them. What changed? If you look at chapter 2, verse 11, you will see that at chapter 2, verse 11, when the, these diviners realized that they had no power to tell the king the dream, lest to even interpret the dream, what did they say? What did they say in the text? What the king asked is too difficult. This is verse 11. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they do not live amongst us. It is only after these diviners realize that they do not have the power in their hands that they need to die to their own myth that they have the power to interpret the dreams and they need to rely on the gods. It was at this point the author started to call them wise. Wisdom comes when we die to ourselves. Wisdom starts after we visited the mock and see the death of ourselves and we start depending on God. Wisdom comes after a visit to the mortuary and wisdom comes when we see our, the death of ourselves. What does it mean therefore to die to ourselves? two things. Number one, what does it mean to die to ourselves? We need to die to the myth that our times and our seasons are not in our hands. We need to die to the myth that our times and seasons are not in our hands. Realizing that there was no one who could unlock the king's dream, Daniel was sought and Daniel pleaded with the one true God for help. Daniel in chapter 2 verses 20 to 23 begins to pray to God after God has revealed to Daniel the dream. So we are looking at this prayer this, after, this morning. This is only one of two prayers that we have of Daniel in the book of Daniel. And both of these prayers are very important in the book of Daniel for two reasons. Firstly, Professor J.I. Fitzmaugh has done a survey of Aramaic literature. And these two prayers are written in Aramaic. And he tells us, in, after surveying lots of Aramaic material, that poetry and prayers are not very common. So when you see a prayer in an Aramaic uh, literature, you begin to know that it's a very important piece. So this is a very important passage in the book of Daniel. And secondly, I think this is a very important passage because this prayer, as many scholars have argued, and I agree with them, sums up the message of Daniel. So let's look at this prayer of Daniel itself. Let's look at verse 20 of chapter 2. The book of Daniel writes, Praise be the name of our God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. What does it mean to die to ourselves? It means to die to the myth that our times and our seasons are in our hands. 
The God tells us here that the times and seasons are not in our hands. It's in whose hands? It's in God's own hands. The myth that King Nebuchadnezzar had is that he thought times and seasons were in his hands. Right at the start of the book, in chapter 1, verse 15, King Nebuchadnezzar sets the time for Daniel and his friends uh, when they were to be trained before they come to serve him. In chapter 2, verse 8, the wise men beg for time before the king so that they have more time to think about how to tell the king his dream. And then in chapter 2, verse 20, verse 16, Daniel himself begged the king for more time. Right throughout the book of the Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar thought the times were in his hands. He was the one who dispenses times and seasons. He was the one who grants mercy to the wise men when they ask for more time. But here God tells the king, no, Times and seasons are not in your hands, but they're in mine. Later in the book of Daniel, God is going to show that. In chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, at the height of his career, when he thought that he was the most powerful, God suddenly removed him from power when he became insane. Times and seasons are in God's hands. Then in chapter 5, when King Belshazzar thought that he was the king of the world and he was celebrating with a great feast. On that night, the Bible tells us, his kingdom collapsed in a matter of a few hours. Times and seasons are in God's hands. What does this mean for us since times and seasons are in God's hands, trust Him with everything in life. Let's not be impatient when our prayers go unanswered according to our plans. Don't be like the faith healers who think that times and seasons are in their hands. They can command sickness to leave any time they want. No, times and seasons are not in your hands. They're in God's hands. And God never makes mistakes in His timing. He's never too early and He's never late. Buck O'Neill is a black man who loves to play professional baseball. But during his time, African Americans were not allowed to play because Carla was a barrier at the time. And he was at his prime. He was good at the game. He was professional at the game, but he was not allowed to play. Not because he was not good enough, but because of his color. By the time the uh, uh, race barrier was finally removed, it was in the year 1947. But that was many years later. Bart O'Neill at this time was already too old to play professional baseball. Many of his friends at the time were extremely bitter about the missed opportunities. And at the Negro Sports Reunion in Ashland, Kentucky, a sportsman, a reporter from Sports Illustrated, found Bart O'Neill and began asking him, do you what? How do you feel about this? Now that you're too old to play a base professional baseball, do you feel the time has been wasted? O'Neill simply looked at the reporter and said, "Oh, waste no tears for me. I didn't come along too early or too late. I was right on time. I don't have a bitter story. 
I truly feel that I have been blessed. And when it was time for Bagonion to write his autobiography, despite the many years of wasted time and fortune, Bagonion chose to title his autobiography this, I was right on time. Time and seasons are not in our hands. Do not feel that waiting on the Lord is a waste of time. Waiting on the Lord is not. It firms our faith in Him because He is always on time. Get rid of the myth that times and seasons belong to us. Secondly, we need to die to our kingdoms. We need to die to our kingdoms. Look with me here at verse 20. He, God, changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. The dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, which we will look at in greater detail next Sunday, is an exposition of this first. In the dream, the King Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue of a man. But what's interesting about the statue of the man is that the man is made up of gold, silver, bronze, and clay. You can read that later on in the book, in, in Daniel chapter 2. And this statue, as Daniel tells us, represents the kingdoms of King Nebuchadnezzar and the kings that would come after him. There is something very common about all these kingdoms. They represent they are represented by a statue bereft of life and feelings. This is how the king's kingdom looks like. It's a stone statue made up of all these precious stones, but it's bereft of life and feelings. And this is how Nebuchadnezzar treated his subjects. When the diviners could not interpret his dream, the king wanted to cut them up to pieces and turn their homes into rubble. The king was all about himself. He's impatient, he's easily angered, he's selfish, he's heartless. And God says, I'm about to dispose to you. What does verse 20 say? Let's read it together again. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises them up. Here God is about to dispose the king. He wants to destroy the statue and later the dream will tell us, not by human hands, but by a rock, not cut by human hands. And God is going to demolish the kingdoms of all these human kings. And God is going to set up his own kingdom. As the kingdom of the human beings is represented by a stone statue, God's kingdom is going to be represented by what? Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 tells us it's going to be represented by a human being called the Son of Man. In the New Testament, Jesus comes around tells us that He has come to do what? To bring about God's kingdom, to establish the kingdom of God. And how does Jesus refer to Himself? 81 times in the four Gospels, Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of of man. Unlike King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a heartless statue, Jesus was filled with compassion and love. He was the perfect human being. Not only did Jesus heal the leper, the blind, the paralyzed, but he even loved people who failed him. Simon Peter, who denied him, 
was loved by Peter. And three times Simon said to Jesus that he loved the Lord because the Lord loved him. And, uh, and, and uh, unlike uh, the people who failed King Nebuchadnezzar and was, were destroyed almost, were about to destroy almost immediately, Jesus gave them a second chance. Even Saul who murdered his church. What does this mean for us? God is about to destroy the kingdoms of this world and set up his kingdom. We need to die to our kingdoms too. Our, the kingdoms that we built here on earth of health, wealth, prosperity need to die. This life is not about building our own kingdoms. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar was all about, building his own kingdoms. And here God in this prayer tells him that he was going to dispose the king of his kingdom and sets up his kingdom. This life is not about building our own kingdoms of security. This life is not about building security for our kids. Rather, it's about God's kingdom. It's about loving the Son of Man who is at the heart of God's kingdom. And how will God build His kingdom? Look with me at verse 21b. He gives wisdoms to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within. God is going to give wisdom and knowledge to those who are willing to build His kingdom, be part of His kingdom. To do what? To see that in the midst of the hidden darkness, hidden mystery, in the midst of darkness, there is light and light dwells with Him. Notice here what God is saying. God doesn't say that if by coming to, 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 to depend upon Him, He will remove all darkness and all the hidden things. No, 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 no. God doesn't promise that He will remove the darkness. But rather in the darkness, we will be able to see His light shining within. Later in the book of Daniel, we are going to see this verse illustrated. In chapter 3, Daniel and his three Daniel's three friends are going to be thrown into a burning furnace, heated ten times more than usual. How is God going to reveal His light and His glory? Not by not by rescuing them out of the furnace. God will not extinguish the flames. In fact, when Daniel's three friends were being thrown into the furnace, God did not rain down fire, uh, uh, rain from heaven to quench the flames. No, no, no. They had to go into the furnace, feel the heat that was ten times hotter than usual. But in the midst of that darkness, what will they see? The light dwells with God. And God is with them even in the furnace. Likewise in chapter 6, God is not going to kill the lions when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. No, 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 no. The lions did not die before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel is going to go into the lion's den to hear the roar of the lions. To feel the lions coming close to him, about to devour him. But it's in the midst of this darkness, Daniel is going to see the light dwells within God when God shuts up 
the mums of the lions. What does this mean for us? God is, God is setting up His kingdom. But God will not remove us from the darkness and the trials of this world. Faith healers are afraid to talk about illnesses because they think that God will spare us from all kinds of trials. But that's not how God works. God will allow us to walk through the darkness. But for those who are wise, to trust in His work and His kingdom, God will give you the eyes to see the light within the darkness. And this may mean that many of us will go through Difficult trials. We may go through persecution, sickness, diseases. But in those moments when we're in the furnace, when we're in the lion's tent, God will give us eyes to see that He walks with us in the fire. That He shuts the lion's mouth. William Cooper puts it beautifully. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. God will not let us escape some of these trials. But for those who trust in Him, He will give you the wisdom and the discernment to see that within the darkness, Light dwells within. The movie The Pianist tells of the story of um, a man called Spillman. Spillman was a Polish musician who survived through World War II. He survived through even the execution of his family. But he, but he was to become one of the leading concert pianists of the 20th century. From time Spillman was hiding underground, living underground, hidden by friends, and and uh, and uh, sheltered from sheltered from the from the Nazis that were about that were trying to kill him. And in one scene, he was moved to an apartment uh, that was rented by a friend. And when this friend brought Spillman into the apartment, the friend said to him, "Be as quiet as possible." Because when you live in this apartment, you are living in the lion's den. Next door of you is the headquarters of the Nazi police. If you raised a lot of noise, they may come to capture you. And opposite your apartment lies a hospital which takes care of German soldiers. So be very careful. You are living in the heart of the lion's den. Keep as quiet as possible and don't talk to strangers. So the friend left. Spillman looked at the, the, the apartment and saw a piano. And being a concert pianist, he felt so tempted to play the piano. But realizing what his friend just said, he knew that he couldn't play the piano. But he was so tempted that he walked to the piano, opened up the piano and started to feel the keyboard. And he started to, when he started to feel the keyboard, 
a symphony orchestra began to play in his head. And uh, Spielman was there, not even touching the keyboard, but he could feel the music in his head. He could hear himself playing into the music and playing the victorious tune that shouts out of his head. And he was lost in that concerto of beautiful music. And the camera at this time looks at the, has a shot down at Spillman's hands and he was not even touching the keyboard but the music was just flowing in his head. What sustains a man through tra tragedy, starvations and the horrors of war? It was this, it was in the middle of the lion's den that Spillman's heart was still raptures with joy as he hears the music in his head. Likewise, as God's children, God will not spare us from the trials of this life. Unlike what the faith healers teach us, we will see death. All of us will die. All of us will get sick. All of us will get persecuted if you want to live a godly life. But what gets us through? It's that in the midst of all the persecution and the trials, in our hearts and in our minds, we see the Lord majestic and glorious and listen to His music coming out of Him. And our eyes are lifted even in the midst of our sorrows to Him to see that even in the midst of the darkness, God shines beautifully and gloriously. That's what God Spillman out of that very difficult situation in life. And that's what will sustain us. A vision of God that in the midst of the darkness, light dwells in Him. Father, we come to Your Holy Word and we thank You for this beautiful passage of scripture that you have inspired, this beautiful prayer of Daniel that captures your heart in the book of Daniel. Yes, the book of Daniel will present us with many trials and tribulations that Daniel and his friends are about to walk into. You do not spare them of these tribulations. Yes, they will feel the fire of the furnace and they will hear the roar of the lions about to devour their flesh. By the midst of all that, they will see the Lord. So Father, our hope is in you. Father, in the midst of our trials and our tribulations, our hope is to see you. And we thank you that for those of us to surrender our kingdoms before you, you give us wisdom and discernment to see that light dwells in you alone. So Father, we come again acknowledging, Lord God, our failure to trust in you. Give us faith. Give us the assurance of your Spirit once again and the gloriousness of your presence that we may again turn to you. To see that within the darkness, light dwells in you. 
Jesus' name.